Well, ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to uh, to the LSE for this online event. My name is Sandy Pepper and I am Professor of Management Practice at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Um, I'm very pleased uh, to welcome Alexandra Polt to the LSE today. Alexandra is Executive Vice President and Chief Responsibility Officer at L'Oreal. Uh, the world's number one cosmetics group, as I'm sure you know, um, and she's also executive vice president of the L'Oreal Foundation. So as we emerge from the global pandemic, businesses are being forced to reevaluate their role. More than ever, businesses are being held accountable for demonstrating purpose and for acting, responsibili- uh, acting responsibly. Uh, Alexandra and I are going to Uh, to talk about how companies can transform their business models to ensure that they are respecting their environmental boundaries uh, and to try to make sure that they can be part of a solution to the world's most pressing challenges. So the the format for this evening, while it might have been described as a fireside chat if uh, we weren't meeting on Zoom and if it wasn't high summer, uh, so the last thing you want to do is to light a fire, But as we're on Zoom, you don't need to socially distance, you don't need to wear a face mask, and you don't have to have had a lateral flow test in the last 24 hours. Hurrah for Zoom. As usual, there will be a chance for you to put questions to Alexandra. So to submit your questions, please use the Q&A function at the bottom of your screens. Questions will be submitted to me, and I will pose as many of them as I can Uh, to Alexandra at the appropriate time. Um, If you could let us know your name and affiliation, um, you know, that's very helpful to us. And we're particularly keen to hear from our students and alumni. So please let us know if you are. For those of you who are Twitter users, the hashtag for today's event is uh, hashtag LSE COVID-19. This event is being recorded and will hopefully be made available as a podcast subject to there being no technical difficulties uh, like I had recently when I was pre-recording a lecture and forgot to press the record button. So without any further ado, uh, let's begin. So um, Alexandra, um, you originally trained, as I understand it, as a human rights lawyer, uh, and you've subsequently had a fascinating career working for, amongst others, Amnesty International Uh, a membership organisation focusing on corporate social responsibility, uh, the French Equal Opportunities and Anti-Discrimination Commission. You founded your own consulting company at one point, specialising in change management and sustainability, um, and you joined L'Oreal in 2012 as Chief Sustainability Officer. Now, I know we have a number of LSE um, and SEMS students on the call, and, and L'Oreal is, of course, a very uh, important corporate member of the SEMS network. Um, so I'm sure our students and alumni would be fascinated to hear a bit more about your career and how you uh, have uh, sort of managed to navigate these different roles and what's inspired you to make the changes that you have. Well, thank you very much for this introduction. Hello to everybody and, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm very happy to, to join you, um, even if it is on Zoom and one more visual meeting, but it, it is a pleasure to share uh, in this context. So I'm very, um, yeah, some, very often people ask me, well, uh, how did you make this, um, uh, this big step from uh, commitment in uh, militant activist organizations uh, and then to the corporate world. And actually, uh, I do think um, that it is also related to the kind of company L'Oreal is, which is a very committed, a very engaged, a very uh, um, uh, a company who, who likes to do the right thing, which makes it easier um, and which, uh, which yeah, uh, conducted me to, to L'Oreal, but also to feel very comfortable at L'Oreal and to have the the impression that I can make change here. So I started. I started very early. I was very committed feminist uh, and um, minority rights defender, and I studied law in order to, to continue to do so, specializing on human rights law. 
And uh, over the time, I have worked in a lot of different NGOs. And then I came to France. I'm originally from Austria. Um, and I have worked here in NGOs and in business river membership networks and uh, in the, for the French administration also on diversity issues. So uh, in, indeed from very different places, but the, the, the issue was always the same. It is about uh, um, positive impact a lot around equality and diversity. And later on, uh, I added on uh, sustainability and environmental issues because actually environmental issues are going to be very much human rights issues too. Uh, so when we look at the North to South divide uh, um, and uh, who are the people who are going to suffer most uh, from climate change, uh, we have once again, we know that this is a form of climate apartheid climate change apartheid. We have a lot of issues. So environmental issues are also issues about human suffering and the, the, the where I would like to contribute is uh, to, to, to have less human suffering in the world. And that is the, the, the red, uh, that is uh, the, 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 the element that all my jobs have in common to do my contribution from the place where I am. Uh, and I know that in 2019, you, your, your job title changed or your, your role changed. You became, uh, you joined L'Oreal's executive committee and you became chief corporate responsibility officer. So mm. could you tell us something about the significance of your, your new job title and also uh, what it's like being a member of the executive committee? Yeah, so I think the important part of it is being a member of the executive committee because, of course, uh, um, uh, you know, when it's very, it's, it's quite easy. If a company wants to be serious about an issue, uh, the issue is at the table of the executive committee. And it is not in the same way at the table of the executive committee if you're not member. You know, all the, all the, a lot of people say, yeah, this is, um, sustainability is not, uh, um, it's not an add-on, it's part of our strategy, it's at the core, at the heart of what we do. So every company would say that. Well, basically, and for some, it's true. Uh, so we are not the only company being serious about sustainability. And luckily, we are not because nobody wants to be alone facing climate change. Um, but um, there is a difference about the seriousness of a company, whether it is at the table of the executive committee or not. Because I, at the, you know, um, just coming out of the executive committee, and it is very clear that my contribution is different from my colleagues' contribution. I will have a different perspective on things with my expertise um, and with my responsibility. And so I think it is extremely important um, to have this kind of function at the highest level of, of the company. Um, the title is, uh, uh, I put corporate responsibility officer because I do not just have the sustainable transformation of our activities in my responsibility, but also the, the contribution of our, um, of our group and but also of all our brands to society. And that is the reason why we put, the, and I have also the responsibility for human rights. So it is um, this large hat under which you can put a, a lot of different things which made the 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 um made the corporate responsibility seem to be more relevant or more precise than sustainability yeah yeah no, that's really interesting so i've had the opportunity to have a look at um uh, l'oreal's for the future program and some what looked to me and i'm no expert in this field but what looked to me some very challenging targets for your 2030 strategy um, I wonder if you might tell us a bit more about that and about the, the philosophy behind the program. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, so what is interesting and important, I think, is that um, we, we, so L'Oreal, like a lot of French companies and European companies, is for quite a while committed to sustainability. In 2030, we already took a step ahead, um, you know, a step more important by saying, by creating the first uh, transversal sustainable transformation strategy. And so uh, this strategy ran until 2020. And we have a lot of proof points and successes in this. Um, and um, in this, uh, um, so for example, we have said we will reduce our carbon emissions in 
uh, in our industrial operations by 60%. We succeeded to reduce this by 80%, even if our business grew up by 37%. Um, so there were a lot of elements of, of success where we achieved our targets that we have um, fixed. But all our targets were, and at that time, it was the most um, most ambitious strategy we could put in place in 2030, but it was doing less bad. It was reducing our environmental footprint, saying, okay, we will reduce it by 60%. Okay, we succeeded to do it by 80%. But this is all regarding and related to ourselves. And so when we defined and when we, in 2020, we said, okay, now we are going to a new generation of targets. We said, well, actually, it's not good enough to say we will reduce our environmental footprint defined by ourselves. What we have to do now, when we look at the world and where it stands and where environmental issues are, what we need to do now is we need to do what is necessary, what science tells us that we need to do in order to be aligned with planetary boundaries. And that is a huge difference because now uh, we said we didn't say we will redefine reduction targets. No, we said, okay, what do we need to do so that our activity will be within the planetary boundaries? And that means not just um, uh, a 1.5 degree scenario regarding climate change. It means also biodiversity. It also means water use. It also means resource utilization. And so in these four domains, we define targets that will allow us to be aligned with planetary boundaries. And if everybody would be aligned in his or her activity with planetary boundaries, then we would be on the right path um, for, for um, uh, uh, keeping a safe operating space for humanity. So that is what we did now. And so what does that mean? So that means that led to very ambitious targets. For example, in 2025, our direct emissions, uh, so our scope one and two emissions are already going to be carbon neutral. Uh, we are going in 2030, uh, we will have 95% of our ingredients that will be either biosourced or coming from biotech, green chemistry, natural ingredients, and so on. We will have 100% of our plastic usage will come from recycled plastic already in 2025. We will have each and every product will have also in the consumer usage phase, 50% less impact. We will keep our land use flat. So that is a complete transformation of our business model. That is not just um, sustainability at the heart of our strategy or sustainability and add-on. We are going to completely change. You know, when you have 95% ingredients coming from biotech or green chemistry, or vegetable origin, and so on, you are completely transforming your model. So, and that's really interesting that, that the way that you're saying, you know, a company has got to do more than just have reduction targets. Um, so, of course, you know, um, it's uh, we've had the G7 meeting in the UK this last weekend, oh, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm conscious of various different actors that have responsibilities in, in the climate change arena. Um, how important are companies in, in, in achieving these, these targets? Well, you know, how we will need everybody. Um, so uh, we cannot, you know, uh, so we will need companies, we will need governments, we will need cities, we will need consumers. Um, there is nobody who can be left out in what we have to achieve in the next years. And so I think that is extremely important. So companies, they are important because companies, they pollute, companies, they have a responsibility. And companies have this incredible advantage of, you know, when we say we will do something, then we have the capacity to do it quite fast and to succeed uh, what we fix what we define as our target and objectives. And so, yes, I do think, actually, I think that companies in the last year, of, yeah, of course, you still have companies who did not get it and who are not doing the job and who are not serious about this and who, uh, who need to be encouraged by regulation and others. But then you have a lot of companies um, who are really, really convinced that this is the way forward, that they're, what they need to do is 
um, to respond to this challenge, to uh, make their contribution also for their own business, because we cannot perform um, if we do not have a safe operating space for humanity. You know, so that is also a question of survival. It's a question of business. It's a question of uh, our future fall. So yes, I do think companies are very important, but I do also think that companies have done and are doing a lot for some of them. Um, the question is how much can be accelerated, and that's valid for all of us. You know, the question is not anymore. There are a few people who don't get that now, but the question is how fast are we going to lead the change? And that is going to be very essential when we look uh, to the timeline, to the time that we have left. We know that. In 2030, we have to manage to change things. And so this is not, this is nine years, you know, ahead. So that's not so long. Um, and so now the question is on you know, what the issue on which people have to judge companies, governments, um, uh, regulators, is it, are we going fast enough? That is the issue. It's got, this is going to be the issue. And do you feel the pull of the consumer in this as well? I mean, are L'Oreal's customers demanding these changes of you? Yeah, so I definitely consumers say very often, consumers all around the world say, we want more sustainability, we want more responsible companies, more sustainable products, we are paying, we are ready to pay an extra, we are ready to do what it needs, we are looking and searching for sustainable products. Well, the situation is a little bit more complex than just opinion polls, like most social changes have been in the past. So, Yes, there is a growing consumer demand. Um, definitely, there is a growing consumer command, uh, demand for sustainability and responsibility. Um, it varies from in geographic regions, you know, um, but I have the conviction that the more this is going to be um, felt, you know, uh, climate change, biodiversity loss, all this are new issues that we are going that creates human experiences. So we have new experiences. We have the loss of the world as we know it. You know, it's like an um it's like if you have to 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 leave the space as as you knew it. That's going to happen to all of us. And that is going to create a lot of additional pressure on people on psychologically and then they are going to 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 really change faster behavior. So that is definitely something that is going to come more even more even if it's already there yeah yeah good um so um part of the the title for uh for our session this evening alexandra um was the implications of the covid pandemic for corporate social responsibility uh, and we had a brief chat about this the other day um, i'd be interested to hear whether you think the you know that the pandemic has changed behaviors changed expectations uh, you know do you think as far as your job and um the implications of the uh, the pandemic for l'oreal it, it has has the the last 18 months has sort of been a really significant shift so i think um what is interesting is that for us i think uh, you know like most people you know when the first lockdown started, I thought like, oh, my God, what is this going to do to sustainability? Is climate change still going to be an issue? Are people going to be even interested to hear any more about uh, biodiversity, carbon emissions and so on? Uh, because it was clear that the social crisis would come, that a lot of things uh, would change. Um, and actually, it was the contrary. You know, it uh, what happened is that people that the experience of a systemic world crisis um, really connected to um, the threat of what go, it's, might come in the future, you know, because COVID, if when we look at the, what science tells us about climate change, COVID is going to be a small crisis, you know. And so I think people understand that. And so that is something about, it is very much about personal experience. There is a second element that I think that people have understood, you know, in the lockdown, there was a lot of reconnection with nature, a different relationship with nature. So people have understood, human beings have understood that they are just an element of nature like other livings, living um, uh, creatures. And that is also changing their perspective. So I think on a personal and societal level, that has changed a lot. At L'Oreal, what we had the chance is 
that we have seen that our model of doing the business responsibly and sustainably made us more resilient and was an added value during the crisis. Because as we have always thinking about um, how can we contribute to society, what happened so immediately after the lockdown, the day after, we had this whole plan for our employees about how we are going to secure their uh, jobs, how we are going to secure their safety, their health, and so on. Then we developed a plan where we changed our whole production Uh, a lot of our production sites to produce hand sanitizers that we donated all around the world. Uh, we donated more than 50 million units. Uh, then we had a supplier program of how can we support our suppliers, especially the small suppliers, by paying them immediately. You know, normally when you have business, you have like six weeks until you are paid. Here we said, okay, for the small suppliers, we will pay immediately so that they do not have any treasury issue. On the contrary, for our small clients, we said, okay, you don't have to pay now. You can pay later so that they do not have treasury issues either. And with the L'Oreal Foundation, we did an enormous work in um, um, uh, going to the field and bringing hand sanitizers, hygiene products, Uh, uh, food aid uh, to, to people who are in vulnerable communities. And so that happened and that was an incredible source of pride for our employees. We created a volunteer program for our employees so they were able to give lessons to children that couldn't, that were um, you know, underprivileged children so that they did not miss out on school uh, too much. Uh, they could call, we worked with uh, community organizations so that they can call older people in order that they The, they are not so low, the loneliness is, uh, is less. So, and that model, that, that reaction to what happened, well, first it created, of course, an enormous then uh, a pride among our employees. It, um, we had 10,000 WhatsApp conversations with our suppliers, you know, in order to help them, to accompany them, to keep the whole value chain going. Uh, and, and all this perspective on how we do business Um, and how we see uh, our role in business helped us to go through this crisis and come out very, very strong um, and very reassured that our perspective on a sustainable, responsible business model is the one that will prevail in the future. Good. Um, but one last question from me, Alexander, if I may. Um, uh, 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 perhaps a, I don't know, slightly tougher question maybe. Um, so, Uh, I, I'm aware of some academics, some journalists, some commentators uh, who question um, sort of the, the recent move uh, of some companies into the sort of the focus on corporate purpose uh, and, and the whole sort of CSR agenda. Uh, they uh, unkindly use phrases like greenwashing um, and I just, I mean, I um, should stress not specifically about L'Oreal, but about the corporate sector generally. Um, and I, I just wonder what you would say to them, what your, you know, what your your perspective on that kind of thing. Yeah, so I, I do think that we do not have the luxury to simplify things. Um, we are in a situation, you know, the situation is serious, so it needs serious people and serious responses. And that means that unfortunately you will have to judge and to evaluate and to have an opinion individually on each company and on each actor who says that he is involved. So at L'Oreal, we have proof points, we have showed, we, have, we can showcase how serious our transformation is, how much we invest, how much uh, we do. And of course, our consumers, they ask for purpose and we are happy because we too, we are happy to do purpose. You know, people, sometimes I have the impression that people think that we get up in the morning, come to our jobs and say, oh, we want to do useless things uh, with no ethics. That's not, that's, that's not the way it happens. You know, what happens is that people at L'Oreal, they are great people. They get up in the morning and they want to have a positive contribution. So what I say to people is, yes, Of course, greenwashing exists, of course, uh, and uh, nobody is perfect today. And I think this is very important. You know, if you ask for perfection, then you will always have the, the proof point that this is not working. Yes, we, 
we all live in a system that was created on infinite resources, infinite consumption, infinite waste. And now we are changing that model. So there is not one individual, not one city, not one government, not one company that is perfect. If you ask me if L'Oreal is perfect, I will tell you now, no, we have still a long way to go to get where we want. Are we sincere in what we do? Yes. We all get up in the morning and say, how are we going to lead that change today in our products, in our uh, marketing campaigns? In uh, And we are happy that the consumer asks for purpose because that is what we love to do and what we like to do. And then there are other companies just like as we are. They are committed companies, um, engaged companies. And once again, that doesn't mean that they are perfect. But the demand for perfection is the most important obstacle to any progress. So I do think that the sincerity is on what we have to be judged. And then, unfortunately, there are still companies who think that this is they can do business as they have done in the last century. And that are the companies on which you will have to, uh, to which people should uh, have a, an opinion and an action in order to encourage them to change too. But I definitely think that we do not have in our time with the responsibilities we have, we cannot have the luxury of saying, all companies are bad and all NGOs are good and all governments are this and that. No, we have to have complex evaluation and judgment, I think. Well, well said. And your, your, your passion comes through in your answer. So thank you. So I'm going to start looking in the, um, in the, the, the chat now. And uh, the first question I see is from one of my colleagues in the management department at the LSE. Um, and he is curious to know uh, what kind of, resistance you meet when you're championing sustainability um, with with other stakeholders so with your colleagues and with your suppliers uh, and and other people that the company interacts with so i have the impression that there is a before paris agreement and a post paris agreement so i think one of the great achievements and uh, successes of paris agreement is very clearly that uh, people somehow that was a tipping point you know people became aware um, this is not about protecting the planet this is about the human species and a safe operating space for human species. So I definitely have the impression that since the Paris Agreement, um, resistance has completely changed its nature. So people are not resistant because they do not believe it, that this is the right thing to do. People are not resistant because they do not acknowledge the urgency. When there is a, a lot of problems is coming from that we don't know how to do that yet. You know, there are not all the technical solutions. There is not all the available alternative materials. There is not all um, the the whole system is not yet um, uh, uh, completely reprogrammed on a circular economy, on uh, on a new way of doing. And of course, we have also geographies where the awareness is less important. You know, Uh, when you look into some Asian countries, when you look into um, as some uh, um, there are places in the world where we can talk as much as we want about sustainability. People do not yet connect. Mm. So the, that I would say it is more about that. I have the impression when we ask our suppliers what they like about it than about us, they say we like that you are so committed to sustainability very often. So it is not the people who are resistant. I think it is, you know, when there is insufficient awareness, which leads uh, to to misunderstanding or to not acknowledging the seriousness of the problem, which uh, is most problematic for us. Okay, thank you. Um, So uh, uh, on a sort of related theme, so this is from uh, an incoming L'Oreal marketing intern. uh, Oh. (laughs) asked an interesting question. Um, So... um, uh, uh, so if I understand the question, it's about the balance between using CSR as a, a source of potentially competitive advantage um, and the fact that actually for um, the kind of, you know, the kind of things that we're talking about to be successful, it's actually a collective problem, a collective issue that we want everybody to participate in. So you want your competitors 
uh, to take it as seriously as you do. And and the question is, you know, is there is there some kind of trade off here that you you need to think about? So I do think I completely agree that these issues are issues that should that should get out of the competitive space. So there are a lot of initiatives and companies, a lot of companies think the same way. You know, uh, Unilever is doing a great job and very often cooperating as is Natura, as is, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that are seeing things like that uh, in the same way. So I do think that cooperation between competitors exists more and more on this issue, of course, in a legally defined space, uh, in the in different forums, industry organizations and so on so the the only um so this is i completely i completely agree and i think there is awareness as i said before that you do not want to be alone facing these issues you want to be many you know when you look at biodiversity loss when you look at fighting climate change you want to be as many as possible and so i do think that you are completely right that the sense of history is even cross-industry cooperation, cooperation between competitors, um, if they have the same challenges and issues. So I do think that this is where we are going, yes. So uh, uh, here's a, a, a sort of, again, a related question, I guess, from uh, someone who's doing a, an LSC online course. Um, uh, and this is about your supply chain. So we're kind of conscious that the boundaries of organisations these days are somewhat fluid, um, and you will no doubt have companies that you've outsourced to and uh, things to and other parts of your supply chain uh, that you would want to influence in terms of uh, your your policies. And how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so we have, a, I, I think that is also something where French companies are very involved. You might know that uh, French regulation has been very early, very, very, um, um, uh, encouraging on this issue or very also uh, leading on this issue. So uh, L'Oreal has started in 2002 to do social audits and to secure the supply chain uh, regarding um, human rights violations and so on. Uh, then we have added on, of course, environmental issues. And now what is perhaps the change also of, um, of history is that sustainability is becoming um, discriminating element in the choice of supplier in the choice of suppliers excuse me in the choice of suppliers so that is definitely something that we have started um five years ago to say there are five elements on which we uh, evaluate our suppliers and one so innovation economy and so on and um then there is also sustainability, which is one of the five pillars of evaluation. And in order to not just make it an element of constraint, we also develop platforms to accompany our suppliers, to explain them how do you report, for example, to the CDP, to carbon disclosure, uh, how do you develop an action plan, how to do science-based targets. There are learning programs, learning expectations, learning expeditions. So there's a lot of things where we try to um, help our suppliers, especially for those who are small, to go into this direction. But for us, this is extremely important because in scope three, a lot of our, uh, you know, of our low carbon emissions and our environmental footprint is upstream. And so we will continue to work with our suppliers. We continue to work on value chain. And we have now taken a new commitment. Uh, you know, I might, you might be aware of the discussion, but you know, uh, for a long time, everybody fought uh, for minimum wage uh, in the supply chain. Uh, now, the question is not so much minimum wage, but living wage. So the question is, what can you do so that in our supply, in your supply chain, even the employees of your suppliers are not just paid a minimum wage, but a living wage? A living wage is a wage that allows people and their dependents to cover their basic needs. And of course, um, in some countries, like here in France, minimum wage and living wage is approximately at the same level. But then you have countries where there is like a huge, huge gap. So now we see our responsibility to work with our suppliers so that they will also pay a living wage to their employees uh, around the world. And so this is, of course, also a transformation process and a huge change. 
But so, yes, we can play a role in transforming our supply chain too. Good. So here is a, a question from a student at Asada Business School in Barcelona. Um, and he is asking, what's the most challenging part of your, your job? So I think the most challenging part is, um, you know, to never lose the person. But that might be in every job, so you will tell me. Um, but that is that um, you never, never can lose the big picture. You know, there are so many obstacles, so many difficulties, you know, we, uh, when you are working on, on, on different issues that you will always to have to remind when you are in execution phase, you know, we have to find our targets and so on. And you will always have to get back to the essential, to the big picture and not get lost in um, the different obstacles and uh, small elements you see every day, but which seem huge because, uh, you know, the, there are hundreds of obstacles. So I think the but I suppose that is in every place and every job where you are is to have the necessary gravitas to um, understand uh, what is leadership. How do you how do you continue to to uh, bring people to make tough decisions? Uh, how do you differentiate between the, something that is a serious or a non-serious problem? And how do you get stay focused? even if everybody tells you. And focused means not losing you in technical details. You know, sustainability was all about technical details for a long time, for 50 years. And that's one of the reasons why people did not join, why the ecological movement was for a long time not joined by a mass movement, because that was all technical conversations. And in the end, it's not a technical conversation. It is about what kind of society do we want? Uh, and what, if we want that society, what are the choices we have to make? And very often behind by, you know, uh, hiding behind technical conversations, scientific conversations, you lose the, the focal point. So here's a question from uh, a student at Imperial College, um, and this is a question about activism. So um, what role do you think activism has within business? And would you classify L'Oreal as an activist brand? <laughs> so I just wrote a book about corporate activism, you know, uh, in, in, in France. So I, I might come from there. Um, so I do think, so I, first of all, I do think that people, I, I'm part of that, of the people who think that for democracy and in order to make us move forward to, to, to uh, encourage us to, to project ourselves, to envision ourselves by being the best we can be, we need people who criticize us. We need, as a democracy, we need movements that are uncomfortable. Um, and so I do always talk to everybody because I think they have, um, they have, I'm sorry, that is, um, that is the evening, um, colleagues who are going home. Um, so I, I do think that this is essential to have, um, critical movement, critical people, uh, activists around us who bring us further. As a brand, I think, yes, as a company, we have to take a stand, but we have to do it. Uh, in an intelligent form. So our, our, our legitimacy is to say, these are our values, this is what we stand for, and this is what we apply everywhere where we operate. And we are, we are ready to, to, uh, yeah, to, 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 to be proud of that and to assume it even if it gets tough and to stand by it. I do not think that we have a political role in the sense of commentating, commenting, commentating, I don't know. So, you know, um, uh, political um, daily activities or uh, things like that. So I think companies have a role to play about defining their values and stand by them, even when it gets a little bit harsher. Good. And maybe a, a sort of related question um, uh, about animal, animal testing. Uh, is that part of your... Uh, kind of uh, role and responsibility is that no it is not part of our my role because uh, there is no animal testing no. you know that is one of the the huge um the huge uh um urban legends uh you know um 
Animal testing is, well, first of all, it is completely forbidden in Europe, as you may be aware, since 2013. Since 1989, L'Oreal did not test any product, a finished product on, um, uh, on animals. So this is uh, now uh, 40 years, uh, 30 years ago. So that is a, a long way. So what there are, of course, um, still issues where we, we have to deal with in some kind in, in well in China um, basically where uh, governments um, uh, test in order to allow products to get on the Chinese market but we are working together with the authorities because we have developed alternative methods and by proposing these alternative methods we have already achieved success by uh, replacing um, uh, um, the government methods um, um, by coming to a um, and uh, by, by bringing together with others uh, uh, really progress on this issue. So I do think that this is uh, really important that to remind that L'Oreal does not test on animals. Okay, well, he's given us an opportunity for you to make that clear. So, um, just change direction slightly. Um, I mean, again, sort of one of the issues of the moment, I think, is about working from home. Um, and... Um, uh, it's broader than your 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 brief, Alexandra. But um, do you have any views on whether working from home is going to become a, a sort of a, a norm for the future around the world, or um, or do we think post pandemic we'll all go back to sitting in our offices? Well, I think it's going to be a hybrid model more. Um, so I'm not an expert on anything. A lot is you know a little bit of. Um, yeah, you might say in a fireside chat, this is allowed to, to have yeah. personal, not very well constructed opinions. I do think uh, at L'Oreal, we are definitely going to encourage um, uh, to come back to work um, because part of who we are about, you know, um, uh, about what we love at L'Oreal is to be together and to have this creativity and to have this energy. And this is something that is really great about L'Oreal, you know, um, which uh, makes also that the L'Oreal is throwing the best parties uh, because we like to, 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 to do that together. So, yes, definitely there is going to be more homeworking. But we are not going to be a company where people work from home and see just occasionally. That's not who we are. And, and as a sort of related question and quite an interesting one is so um, I guess you work in an area where new ideas are sort of coming up all, all the time. And uh, uh, do you have ways of making sure that you capture all the ideas that are generated within L'Oreal you know, from all around all your, your different uh, locations. How, how do you capture uh, all the ideas and the enthusiasm that people? Yeah, so um, that is something that is very, very uh, embedded in our culture. It's entrepreneurship. Um, so a lot of the uh, success of our sustainability programs come from the initiatives that people take on the ground. Uh, you know, we have in all our plants, distribution centers, you know, wherever I go in the world, you know, when I was still traveling, somebody said to me, an engineer, a researcher said, look, I found that, you know, and then uh, it can be, for example, somebody was um, uh, replacing in packages the protection by just a recycled carton in, in order to replace any plastic. Or we had somebody in India who used the worms to 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 um, um, get a recycling process for the sludge. So everybody uh, is there. Are a lot a lot of initiatives of innovation of creativity. It's part of the culture that you can do that at L'Oreal and that it will um, then be generalized, you know, rolled out larger if it is. And I think this is an important part of why employees love to work at L'Oreal, but also, of course, of the success um, that this is possible. So I do think, um, but I think then also it is, of course, also personal uh, commitment. And we encourage that, that people um, do, do have also the courage to make, um, you know, to make it bring new ideas to the table and to defend them. But, you know, the most of the one of the most, which is very different, you might say, from sustainability. But one of the story, we just had the appointment of our new CEO, who is uh, Nicolas Euronimus, uh, 
Uh, and our new CEO is also here for more than 30 years. I can't remember the exact numbers. And, you know, in his career, there are some like um, really central moments in his career. And one of the central moments is that he invented, you know, the green fructose bottle of shampoo, you know. And we, when he came with this extremely green thing to the table and said, I believe in this, this is but this is going to work for this and this reason. And people said, no, you're a crazy guy. Uh, and he like perseverates and was convinced and said, and this became the most sold shampoo in the world, you know, and that is L'Oreal. You know, you have an idea, you perseverate, you do it, you think that this is the right thing, you convince people and then you can go there. And that's why I say that's his entrepreneurship here. Yeah, great. Um, so there's a question here about, uh, sort of back to your supply chain um and this is about uh child labor child exploitation and we might broaden this out into a kind of uh you know a, a, a broader question about humanitarian issues rather than sustainability human rights issues yes, yes human rights issues. so um would you like to to, to comment on your your thinking yes of course that? i'm very happy to comment uh, on that because that is a zero tolerance issue of course so first of all we have a stricter definition of child labor than the uh, international labor organization uh because we fixed the age at 16 and not 14 um so we have uh uh, social audits, uh, as soon as, of course, um, there is any allegation or we, we do proactively social audits in all regions that where might be a risk and so on. And if there is any child labor issue um, that or um, uh, there, this is a zero tolerance issue and any supplier or subcontractor of supplier will become be immediately out of our supply chain. Good. Okay. So we've been using the language of corporate responsibility and, and CSR. And one of our questioners has said, um, of course, you know, that the terminology that investors increasingly are using is ESG, environmental, uh, social mm -hmm. governance. Um, and a, a related question perhaps is, um, you know, what role do investors, your investors have uh, in uh, uh, sort of your uh, your 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 ESG positioning. So is that is the does the language matter? Does ESG mean anything? And how about your investors? I mean, I know you have a sort of slightly unusual, um, in, uh, atypical invest investor group for, uh, uh, compared with many large companies. So I do think that this is also one of the changes that is happening in the since uh, 18 months, I would say there is a new um, level, in, you know, the, the way that investors look on these issues and are interested in this issue came to a new level of maturity. Um, and investors are now demanding much more, much more serious about that issue, have really understood that this uh you know, these issues can be um, very, very defining for a corporate future. I do not talk about ESG. You know, it's not aspirational. And a lot of issues around sustainability, we have to make them aspirational to bring people on board, you know. So um, it says, of course, the same thing. You know, it is about responsible, environmentally responsible and socially and governance responsibly business. Um, I call it internally and for communication and branding L'Oreal for the future, because, you know, when our employees say, I'm working for L'Oreal for the future, or this is a L'Oreal for the future issue, that gives them another sense of what they're doing than if, you, if they say, I work for ESG issues, you know. So I do think that, but the idea behind, of course, is the same. It is about responsible business. Um, and then I think, yeah, I, I do think what you, I suppose you mean is less um, investors than shareholders, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yes, yes, we still have family uh, shareholders uh, uh, for a huge part. And that is something that helps a lot, of course, because uh, that is about long term. You know, uh, this is about a company that is here for 110 years that is still um, going to be here much more much longer. And I do think that value-orientated, long-term, 
leadership and shareholder participation is one of the parts that makes it easier for us um, to make sometimes, you know, decisions that go in this direction. Then it might be a company that has just hedge funds and other uh, um, investors that are not related in any way to the future of the company or the long-term future of the company. Uh, Alexander, here's a slightly different question again. Uh, so this is a, um, back to all sort of talking about products, product developments, product uh uh, um, um, well, the manufacturing process, I suppose. Yeah. And the the question is, or, or posits the uh, the situation that you have one way of doing things, which is cheap, but um, you know maybe uh, not particularly sustainable. You have another way of doing things, which is more expensive but better for the environment and leads to higher prices. I, I, I mean, is that a fair kind of uh, and that uh, um, description of the trade-off for... No, I think that might be a little bit simple. Yeah. You know, uh, luckily for us, the things are a little bit more complicated. So one is that we all have lived in an economy of waste, you know, wastage, you know, resources. So enormous amount of... Um, um, uh, I'm sorry, because the office is closing. Yeah. I'm sorry, the offices are closing, so everybody is asking me. They can leave. Good night. Um, so, um, so yes, uh, uh, there is um, there is more complexity in this because, of course, with energy efficiency, uh, a lot is about uh, um, efficiency, replacing circularity. So you gain, yes, you some on some places you spend more, in others you will gain. Uh, and so there is a huge amount of things that we can do by changing our way of doing things, you know, and making it more efficient, more respectful, more. And as we are transforming our whole model, for the moment, at least, we succeed uh, both economically and uh, um, in the sustainability perspective without uh, bringing this to the uh, consumer penalty. So here's a question, uh, interesting question from um, uh, someone who works in public administration uh, in an African country. Um, and it's a very simple question. It's, it's uh, so what should they do? What should they focus on? What, what's the most important thing? If you, were, if you were putting yourself in the shoes of somebody working in public administration in, a, in an African country. Hmm. Yeah, well, there are some things, uh, you know, I'm uh, um, so I'm, I'm very, very concerned by by this question. And I do say it, uh, um, uh, with uh, with a, a lot of respect, but there are a lot of issues, uh, you know, that uh, that need to be tackled because, you know, there is one issue. What, there is an issue about climate justice, you know, because. What we are going now, we are going to say to African and Southern countries, well, we have caused this whole climate change issue by uh, emitting an enormous amount of CO2 emissions um, that have led to a great development for us. But now we ask you to not do so, because if you do so, we will not at all manage climate change and we will all be doomed. Um, so what we ask you now is to do immediately differently and more expensive and more complicated. So there, there are huge leadership issues. So I do think it is very different if you are uh, one individual. But there are, there are some things that uh, can be done. I think uh, there is innovation is a huge opportunity to creating an uh, inspirational uh, Future. So, of course, there is something about social uh, inclusion, about as long as people do not eat, they are not going to think about the environment. So there is something that we have creating opportunities that allow people to adapt to climate change, for example, by creating economic activity, um, a sustainable economic activity. So who definitely the population in a lot of African countries are going to be those who suffer most from climate change. So mitigation strategies and adaptation strategies are extremely important. So that can be resilient uh, agriculture, um, creating new activities, uh, 
set that will uh, bring uh, sustainability. But unfortunately, I think if I was uh, one individual working in public administration, I would think about the entrepreneurship, sustainable entrepreneurship. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so, so two more questions. Um, uh, this is from uh, Alice, a, a student at Durham University, um, and she's asking, is there a, a one strategy or initiative that you could mention that you think has been most impactful in terms of uh, L'Oreal's environmental sustainability? That is a tough one because we believe, of course, that a lot of things that we are doing. Well, we 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 always have said, you know, and that is not a perfect answer to your question, but we have always said we are not doing pick and choose. We look at all our environmental impacts and we handle them all. That was a choice. So we are not saying, okay, uh, well, because actually, if we do that, you know, we are we are definitely. The, the beauty industry is not a polluting industry. Our carbon emissions in our production, they are ridiculous, you know. So if we say, uh, if we look just into that, then we wouldn't do, uh, wouldn't be necessary to make all these efforts in complete transformation. So that is the reason why we had a very different mindset. We said our ambition is to be a zero impact or a, a planetary boundary, sorry, a planetary boundary impact model in 2030 and a net zero in 2050. And we worked from that ambition and then we changed everything. I think the most impactful thing we did internally was something that doesn't sound like the, um, the revolution is that we said in 2013, we said, okay, uh, we every product that is developed has to improve its environmental footprint. And actually, that is incremental improvement. That is small steps. But that completely changed the mindset of our employees. That was that idea that our CEO promoted. He said, OK, guys, until now, I asked you to take two parameters into account when you when you work on a product the cosmetic performance and the economic performance. And now I ask you on the same level of importance to take into account the third paradigm, which is the responsibility performance. And that changed the mindset and that brought us where we are now today in a situation where people do understand what it is about sustainability, what are the levers of change for their uh, core business, but also where necessary expertise is there to understand the importance of the challenges. So uh, uh, thank you, Alexandra. So my, my final question um, is a very straightforward one. Uh, I asked you earlier about which part of your job you found you find most challenging. Um, and my final question is, what, what's the part of your job that you enjoy the most, that is see mm. the, the biggest buzz? Yeah, well, I, 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 well, um, well, I, um, there is no easy answer to that question either because it depends on the phase. You know, I'm here for nine years, but um, there were big moments. But I think the most rewarding moment I had in my in my career is actually um, there is, you know, I developed with my team very strongly the. For women in science program in sub-Saharan Africa, because um, uh, we have this foundation, this program is the foundation to promote women scientists, uh, uh, high-level uh, women scientists around the world, and uh, I developed it for the for sub-Saharan Africa because there are a lot of needs, and uh, I, we have we went to Senegal where we had the ceremony, um, you know, celebrating twenty. Uh, postdocs or uh, um, uh, thesis uh, students, uh, you know, and women around 30 to 40. And this one woman said to me, and there is always, you know, there's a celebration and we bring uh, public authorities, ministers and a lot of media and so on. And there was this one woman from Senegal, I just, which was incredible. And she, she said to me one thing that was really one of the most rewarding moments in my career, she said, I can never thank you enough for what you have done for me because you have changed the way the world is looking at me. 
And I think that was, she brought it exactly to the point of what we wanted to do to change the way the world is looking at her. Um, and uh, so I think that is, for the moment, it is um, the most rewarding moment that I That's have. That's a very nice story on, on which to conclude. So um, I'm sorry if we haven't been able to address everybody's questions, but we've uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, uh, Alexandra, I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. I've learned a thank lot. Thank you very much. Your passion for your job is is very evident. So um, thank you. Thank you so much. And, thank you. Um, good luck. And thank, thank you, you everybody, for joining us this evening. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Goodbye.